Pastor Ed Taylor says no matter what you've done in the past, God would love to forgive you. You find yourself listening to this right now, and you're reading about this guy, David. You don't even know who he is. But from what you've learned so far, you're like, he really messed up. Adultery, pregnancy, killed the husband. He stole another man's wife. Maybe that's you. You have stolen another man's wife, or you have, you have committed such atrocity that it's crushing you. And the Bible says that there's forgiveness for you. The Bible says that your sin is not so great that God can't forgive you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You When a friend or family member is caught up in sin, part of us just wants to look the other way or maybe even aid them in their sinful behavior. But according to the Bible, a loving rebuke is just what's needed. Learn how to be a real friend in a time of need today on Abounding Grace. Confrontation is never easy, but necessary at times. And Nathan is about to do that for David in the story before us. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with the details from 2 Samuel 12. Our sins look horrible when someone else is committing them. But if I'm committing them, it's really not that bad. I tend to be more generous on myself, very gracious. When, it's, when I look in the mirror, grace, grace to you. <laughs> but for others, very critical. Especially when you view unbelievers as you that work in the world, you're so condemning of unbelievers. You're so critical. Like you're the perfect person and there everyone else has a problem but you. When all the while you're just wrapped up in pride. You're just a prideful person. You're not as good as you think you are. The things you're seeing in them are reflections of you. And the things that really get to you are often things that you do, but you explain away and pretend that they don't happen. And we get a story like this and we rise up and kill that man. Well, not even the Bible says that he should be killed. Jesus had a lot to say about the topic of forgiveness. While we cry out grace, grace for ourselves, we so quickly cry out judgment for others. But this is what Jesus says. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, would you please? I mean, the Lord just wants you to be more loving in, our, in your life. He wants you to be more gracious, not just with yourself, but with others. He wants you to be a light that's not covered in a basket. He wants you to know that you're not perfect. He, he wants you to know that you fail. He wants you to know that you're in need of daily grace. He wants to remind me that I don't have all the answers. He wants to remind me that situations that I see that really bug me should be cause for me to really cry out to the Lord. Oh, yeah, maybe I wouldn't do that exact thing. And maybe I wouldn't. But, but what would I do? What would I do in that line? Why am I so upset about it? Why, why am I crying out for what? What is it, Lord? What are you showing me about me? And how can I love that person that I've seen that in? Such a beautiful place. And, and, and the root of that is forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18... He said in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's an enormous amount of money. We know that because it says in verse 25, he wasn't able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment to be made. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, much less than what he owed. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me, I'll pay you all. But he would not and went out and threw him in prison that he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So, verse 35, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's important that we have a forgiving spirit and that we be willing to forgive. God has forgiven us so much, we need to forgive others. We have a tendency to forgive ourselves very quickly, very readily, very easily, but to forgive others is something altogether different. And David was judging himself. That man shall be surely put to death as the Lord lives. Why? Because what David did was worthy of death. That's where that came from. He pronounced judgment upon himself. And then some of the most powerful words back in 2 Samuel and all the scriptures. Back in chapter 12 there in verse 7. The tension, the pressure, the you can just king just flipping out, kill the man. First get four lambs, then kill the man. Then Nathan, Nathan said to David, you are the man. With an exclamation point. You see that in your Bible? You are the man, as the Holy Spirit would say to us. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with your sword. That's a pretty powerful word. Did David literally kill Uriah with his own sword? Yes or no? No, but God saw it that way. He conspired, set it up. His hands were clean but not really. It was his sword. That's what God says. That's how God sees things. You know, we see things very differently, don't we? Even though, even though you could take the text of the scripture and say, no, Ed, you could argue with me. Say, no, Ed, it says right here, he didn't do it with his sword and you'd be true. That's the physical. But we need to open our eyes to the spiritual, don't we? Because from the physical realm, this was all arranged and put together and he had other people do it and it was actually the enemy that killed Uriah. But from God's perspective in the spiritual, David, you, with your own sword, your own power, your own position, David, you are guilty. 
He says, you've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives from your own eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it in secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. In an instant, David understood, didn't he? He's the man. He's the man. Pastor Jeff used to teach us uh, that when you point the finger, go ahead and try, get your hand out, point the finger at me. Just point your finger at me. That when you point the finger, all of you, you finger pointers, uh, you've always got, keep your finger up. You always got, I want you to see it. You always got three coming back at you. Try it. Unless you're doing this business, don't point like this. One, you, every time you point the finger, you got three coming back at you. And here's David pointing the finger at this story. I'm not pointing at all you guys now. So is he really pointing at me? Yes, I'm really pointing at you. But three's coming back at me. Don't ever forget that. We're all guilty before God. We all need the grace of God. In an instant, in just moments, God's revealed a truth that was deep down hidden in David's heart by his own mouth. You are that man, even though you're an anointed man of God. Isn't it interesting that God, when he wants to bring us back to repentance, when he wants to really speak to us, what does he say? He starts to remind you of the goodness of God, right? That's what Paul said. Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? And he says, look what I've done. And he doesn't even give the whole story. He just gave a few little highlights. David, I picked you. David, I anointed you. David, I protected you. David, I appointed you king. David, if it wasn't, if that wasn't enough... If that didn't bless you enough, I would have done much more for you. That's how much I love you. How can your heart not melt when you think of all that God has done for you? And then God says, you know what? If that wasn't enough, I still do more for you. I love you so much. You could even say that God, in holding back his judgment on David, which he could have done himself, was an act of love toward David, waiting for him. And in verse 13, what does he say? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah. I have sinned. I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. You know, from now on, as the scripture says, the sword will not depart from David's house. The consequences of forgiven sin can be heavy. The consequences of unforgiven sin can be eternally detrimental. But the consequences of forgiven sin can be, can be deadly. David's oldest son, Amnon, was killed by his brother Absalom. David's second son, Absalom, was killed in his rebellion against his father in battle. David's third son, Adonijah, was killed by Solomon when Solomon took the throne. The sword did not depart from his house. David saw his three oldest sons. Uh, well, he didn't see Adonijah, but he saw the two older sons slain, and he experienced the grief of the sword coming to his own house. You're guilty, David. You're the man. You've done it, and the sword will not depart from your might. This whole thing coming up with his son Absalom will be done in private, not privately, but openly and publicly in great humiliation. He tells David, what you did in the secret, in the dark, will be made known in the light. Jesus said this, Mark chapter 4, verse 22, for there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that it should not come to light. Just the way it is. It doesn't matter if nine months have passed, two years have passed, almost three years. It doesn't matter. What's done in secret will be made public. And the only acceptable response to sin is verse 13, I have sinned. That's the only acceptable. 
Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you will surely die. The only acceptable response to sin is to repent of it, to accept it, admit it, turn away from it. David didn't try to defend himself, aren't you glad? He didn't try to defer. He didn't try to blame others. He didn't offer some half-hearted, you know, I'm sorry for whatever I might have sort of done and kind of maybe if it led to that, maybe I'm sorry. No, I've sinned against the Lord, period. I've sinned against the Lord. We'll get into it next time. If you want to read ahead in Psalm 51, you'll get the backstory of the heart of David. These are the words he said, I have sinned. But if you want to know where it came from in the heart, Psalm 51. And we'll get into that next time. We'll go through verse by verse in Psalm 51. It's raw and it's real. What we need to realize is that all our sin is against God. It may affect other people. It may have involved other people. But the sin is against God because it is God's command that I'm violating. Every sin is against God. And God sees it and God knows there's no secret sin. In one of our new believer Bible studies that we have that when you respond to the gospel, maybe that'll be you today, where you recognize now the topic of sin relates directly to your life, where you can look at your own life without me ever naming your sin and say, you know, I've sinned against God. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect woman. And you've come searching out a peace that you haven't been able to get any other way. You haven't been able to drink it away. You haven't been able to smoke it away. You haven't been able to work it away. You haven't been able in any relationship to get rid of that feeling, to get rid of that consciousness of your sin. You haven't even been able to will yourself. How many times you've said, this is the last time, this is the last time, and those around you can can answer that. Man, you've said that a thousand times. No exaggeration, because you haven't been able to do it on your own. And so you seek out a church, you flip through the radio and you start listening to the radio and and you're wondering, what is this about God? You might have even worked with a few Christians that have disappointed you. A few people that said they're believers, but then they don't look like believers. They kind of look like you and they say they go to church, but they do the exact same things you do. And so that kind of turned you off. You were a little upset about that. You're like, man, I thought Christians were different, but if they're not different than me, what good is Christianity? And then you've knocked on the door of Hinduism. And then you found out multiple gods don't work. And then you knocked on the door of Buddhism. And that was really hard to understand that everything is a god and you don't have any idea where you're going there. Then you knocked on the door of atheism and you're like, man, I can't deny God. I see that there's a creation. And over and over you've run and run. But, but where do you come back to your creator? Because the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. That God has put eternity in your heart. It's part you long to be right with God. That's a longing in your heart. Your heart is not settled. There's an emptiness there. And you've tried to fill and push and you found out, man, no, I can't. It's not working. And you find yourself listening to this right now. And you're reading about this guy, David. You don't even know who he is. But from what you've learned so far, you're like, he really messed up. Adultery, pregnancy, killed the husband. He stole another man's wife. Maybe that's you. You have stolen another man's wife or you have, you have committed such atrocity that it's crushing you. 
And the Bible says that there's forgiveness for you. The Bible says that your sin is not so great that God can't forgive you. The Bible says that God so loved you in the midst of the worst part of your life, the worst, the part that nobody knows the full story but you, the worst part, that while the Bible puts it this way, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, every single one of us. The Bible says that we have all sinned. If you heard my full story, you would just shake your head and go, what are you doing up there? Exactly. I'm not too far from you. The question should be, what are you doing there? It's the grace of God. He's able to restore a life that's been broken. He's able to take what the devil and you have, have conspired to destroy, and he's able to restore you. The Bible actually even says, the Bible says that God is able to restore to you years that have been lost. Years of fruitfulness. He can, and he, he, can, he can do amazing, marvelous things in your life if you'll repent. If you will just say like David, I have sinned. If you can say that to God tonight, if you can from the heart say, I have sinned against you, God. I haven't lived a life that pleased you. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a church person, God, but I want that forgiveness. I want the guilt removed. I want to make things right with people in my family. I, I, want, I want to live with a burden lifted off my shoulders. Jesus himself said, for any of you that are weary and heavy, he said, come to me. Come to me, I'll give you rest. My burden is light, my yoke is easy. I, I want to exchange the heaviness of your life because it has been heavy. The things you're happening in your mind, the distance between the people you love, the loneliness and isolation that sin brings. Listen, in a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to the love of Jesus Christ in your own life. But there's only one response. I have sinned. I've sinned. That's the only way. Not some half-hearted, yeah, I kind of messed up, and yeah, maybe I, maybe I might try. And, and it's not some, well, you know, I'm in a lot of trouble right now, so, so I'll just come to God, and maybe he can get me out of the trouble, and then we'll be, no, no, it's not that at all. It's a wholehearted commitment. We need to realize that all sin is against God, and the cost of sin is never what we thought it would be. For some people, when they die in their sin, eternally they live separately from God. Forever. The temporary decisions you make on earth have eternal ramifications. It's not God's heart for you to die in your sin. It's God's heart for you to be forgiven. In that great occasion in verse 14, the consequence is the child would die. This is what happened in David's life. This isn't a universal truth that God kills babies as a consequence. This is a consequence of sin. God is telling him what he already knew from his foreknowledge. And after that, verse 15, Nathan departed to his house. I bet he did. That was a hard conversation to have. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became very ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, 
And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and we would, he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. And then David saw that his servants were whispering. David perceived that the child was dead, and therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said to him, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. It's one of the best things you can do while you're grieving is to worship the Lord. One of the best things you can do when you're grieving is to lift your hands to the God who loves you, even in the pain and in the loss. David is a wise man here. Then he went in to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, what is it that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he's alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And mark these words, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is a very important episode in the life of David that can't be lost under the shadow of the consequence of his sin. We recognize that is the case, but don't lose the reality of the truth that God is giving to us. There was such a sad and immediate consequence that David faces. There is divine healing, but there's also divine sickness. No matter how much David prayed, it wasn't God's will that his child should recover from this sickness. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Ed, there's a common question relating to the death of an infant, abortion, or miscarriage, and that would be, are these precious little babies going to heaven? You just quoted David's words, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Do you think this would help us answer that question? It does help, doesn't it, Larry? It really does. Uh, Babies have a very special place in the heart of God, children, children. before that, what they would call the age of accountability, where there is a provision of grace, of God doing something special in kids' lives, drawing them to a place. God doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't know, but for what we do know. And for those that have experienced the death of an infant or gone through an abortion or even experienced a miscarriage or even a stillbirth, Know this, you are loved greatly by the Lord, even in the midst of this pain. And you can expect to see those children in heaven. You bet. 100% I believe that. David believed that. That's not an emotional answer. As much as it is an emotional answer, I would say it's not merely an emotional answer. It's a biblical truth. David had an expectation to be reunited with his baby, his son. And you can have that and share that same expectation. Lord, I just pray for those hurting right now, listening into this broadcast. It seems like there's a lot of pain that's been floating around, God. And we come to you. We cast our cares upon you. We receive your healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if this is a message you'd like to hear again, there are a couple of options. Either go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. 
Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at aboundinggraceradio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. We're constantly hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God, and your gifts help to make that possible. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? How does it work? Pastor Chuck explores these questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order online at calvaryco.store. Calvaryco.store. If you'd just like to make a donation and aren't interested in the resource, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll take you to Psalm 51, which gives us a peek into David's heart at this time of his life. I think you'll find it encouraging as you seek to move on after personal failure and sin. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.